The woods are lovely and dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. Those words from Robert Frost have a haunting sound to them because they tell us about how important it is to keep the promises that we've made. The definition of a promise is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. In July 1941, President Roosevelt uh, federalized the Filipino army because the Philippines were a U.S. territory at that time. And he also at that time uh, recalled to active duty uh, General Douglas MacArthur and appointed him as U.S. Army uh, forces in the Far East. And between July and December of that year, there were 8,500 8, uh, additional troops into the Philippines, and there were over a million shipping tons that had piled up on the, the docks in America waiting for ships uh, and, and vessels to take them to the Philippines. However, at 3.30 local time in the Philippines on December the 8th, which was 9 o'clock, December the 7th in Hawaii, they learned of the attack on Pearl Harbor. At 5.30, the Chief of Staff of the U.S. Army, General George Marshall, ordered the execution of the existing war plan, Rainbow Five. This plan had been leaked by the Chicago Tribune three days earlier, and the Germans had made public ridicule of the plan. The initial plan called for the American troops to retreat to the, the Banton Peninsula to Manila Bay and to, to hold out there until reinforcements could come. Uh, MacArthur didn't like the plan. He wanted instead to use the B-17 flying fortresses that were located there as, uh, to sink Japanese ships that were coming in. And, and used the over two dozen modern submarines to protect the island. And so he wanted to protect all of Luzon rather than retreating to the Badan Peninsula. He persuaded those in Washington that his plan was more sound, and so he didn't follow Marshall's orders. On three occasions, the commander of the Far East Air Force, Major General Lewis Brinton, requested permission to to begin Rainbow Five and send out his Air Force to Formosa. It wasn't until 11 o'clock that uh, MacArthur gave him permission to begin that, but by 12.30 the Japanese had come in with their 11th Air Fleet and basically destroyed the Air Forces in the Philippines. MacArthur attempted valiantly to hold off the Japanese enforcements that were coming in, but they came very rapidly, and the modern submarines turned out to be manned with malfunctioning torpedoes, and so they were unable to do anything. So they had to retreat to the Bataan Peninsula, as the original plan said. Unfortunately, in the process of doing that, they they uh, 
left behind most of their supplies. On the evening of uh, December the 24th, MacArthur moved his headquarters to the fortress island of, of Cadigador. Most people believed that MacArthur would pull something out and they would be able to hold off, but unfortunately, because they had, when they bombed Pearl Harbor, they had shut them off from the more supplies and more reinforcements and all those things, so these men were left there fighting desperately for their lives, trying to hold the, the port of Manila Bay. In February, the Japanese uh, had tightened their hold upon the Philippines, and President Roosevelt told MacArthur that he needed to relocate to Australia. So a couple of weeks later, in March, MacArthur left Cotidor and traveled by PT boats through stormy waters that were patrolled by the Japanese boats. When he arrived in, in Australia, he made the famous speech at the Torrio rail station. When I landed on your soil, I said to the people of the Philippines, whence I came, I shall return. Tonight I repeat those words, I shall return. Nothing is more certain than the ultimate reconquest and liberation from the enemy of those and adjacent lands. However, on April the 9th, the United States surrendered the Bataan Peninsula to the Imperial Army of Japan. It was the largest surrender in U.S. history, over 75,000 troops. The Japanese immediately began the, on a 66-mile march north. It's become known as the Bataan Death March. If soldiers faltered at all, they were beaten, bayoneted, and even beheaded. Historians estimate there was a corpse roughly every 100 feet for 66 miles. It was indeed a death march. In the end, the sorrow of surrendering the Philippines in 1942 gave way to the joy when MacArthur was able to return in 1945 and liberate the Philippines. The Japanese sent all their forces there, deciding it was the decisive battle. But the Americans won. And it was especially gratifying to, to General MacArthur because his father in 1889 had fought in the Spanish-American War and had freed the Philippines from 300 years of Spanish rule and then ultimately led to the Philippines becoming a sovereign nation ruling themselves. Promises kept are important. My wife reminded me a short while ago of a promise I made several years ago. We were sitting outside the courthouse at Tarrant County debating whether to go in and buy a marriage license. <laughs> I told her I wasn't going anywhere. And she reminded me how much that meant at that time. In a couple of weeks, that will be 44 years. Promises kept are important. Today, we're going to look at another promise that was kept. Luke 2, verses 25 to 35. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, the child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, and the thoughts of many may be revealed. We've been focusing this Christmas season, as we normally do, on the, the hope, peace, and joy that Christmas represents. I would like to add one more thought to the mix, the importance of promises kept. The story doesn't stir us in the same way as the manger scene or, or the wise men, but it's an important word for us just the same. About 2,000 years ago, there was an elderly man named Simeon. If you went to the temple on a Monday, you might have seen him there. If on a Tuesday you went to the temple, you might have seen him there. If you went to the temple on a Wednesday, you might have seen him there. You might have just missed him. Whatever day you went, he probably would have been there, but he was just an old man. You might have thought, well, he just has nothing else to do. But it tells us here that he had made made a promise by God that he would not die before he saw the Messiah, the Christ. And Simeon had become an old man. He'd been waiting for the promise that God had made him. And today that promise would be kept. Let's look a little bit at the Old Testament background of of what's happened here. In Genesis 17, it tells us that a male child was to be circumcised on the eighth day. Leviticus 12 tells us that the mothers were unclean after the birth of their children. In the case of a male child, the mother was unclean for 33 days after the circumcision. At the conclusion of that period, the mother was to offer a sacrifice, either a lamb, or if she was poor, two doves or two young pigeons. And then Numbers 18 tells us that the firstborn son was to be presented to the Lord in the sacrifice given, basically to buy back the child from the Lord. Thus, this is the moment that we see here in this passage. Mary has come to the temple for the purification Verse 21 has told us that when, and when eight days had passed before Jesus' circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, because Mary and Joseph were devout Jewish parents, they wanted to follow the law. And so they had had Jesus circumcised because this was the sign that was given to Abraham centuries ago that this was a chosen people, that on the eighth day 
the male child was to be circumcised. And then 40 days after the birth of the child, they were to come to the temple in Jerusalem for the purification and the presenting of the child to the Lord. So in this case, we see here that on the 40th day, because they were good Jewish parents. They came to the temple. It was only five or six miles because they were in Bethlehem. But they came those miles because they wanted to dedicate and buy back their child from the Lord. And so they came to offer this sacrifice to buy back their child and the purification. Either with a lamb, two pigeons, or two turtle doves. All we know about Simeon is what Luke tells us in these verses here. First, it says that he was just, which could be translated righteous. From a Jewish perspective, it meant that he had a right standing in the covenant of God. And then Simeon was also devout, which means he was reverent and pious. Third, Luke writes that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's a prophetic term basically saying that he's the Messiah. It was used heavily in Isaiah's suffering servant patches. And finally, Luke tells us that he, that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. And the specific promise that was given that he would witness the coming of the Messiah had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before seeing the large Christ. We don't know how old Simeon was, but tradition says he was 113. That's old. So we understand this about Simeon. He's a devout Jew. He's a righteous man. He was a good man. And the Holy Spirit made it clear that he would not see death before he had seen the Christ, the Messiah. And so he was there when Mary and Joseph came with the babe 40 days after he was born. He says, Now the Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. In other words, you're keeping your promise. I would see the Messiah, and I know that it is happening this day before my eyes. The question is, why would a devout, a good a righteous man needs salvation. If he's good and devout, why? Well, he needs salvation like you need salvation, like I need salvation. The scripture is very plain that there's only one that was without sin, and that sin separates us from God, and so we each need salvation. So Simeon, a good, just, devout man, needed salvation and this day even though this was a baby only 40 days old he was seeing his savior now it's not just the Jewish people that need a savior Simeon was Jewish Jesus was Jewish but he tells us here he says which was prepared in the presence of all people a light to the Gentiles So it matters not what origin we come from. We could have grown up in a Buddhist 
or a Hindu or a Muslim or Jewish, even a Baptist or a Catholic or Methodist or Presbyterian. We all need salvation, and this was the Savior. This was the Messiah. Usually at Christmas time, we like to drive around and look at the lights. Most of us forget that the lighting of the candle in the window and the lights on the house represented the fact that Jesus came to be the light of the world. We've lit these candles here, and we talked about it last night. The hope, the peace, the joy, and the love are only possible because of Christ being the light of the world, and we shared that light with each other, and we passed it around to represent the fact that we have become the light of the world. Now, Mary was only able to go into the court of the women, so this may have taken place there, but it seems to, from the scriptures, it seems to indicate that it was taking place in the court of the Gentiles. And this is not by accident because it's important for us to realize that he didn't come only for Israel. He came for all the world. All mankind needed a Savior. And this was he, a 40-day-old 40, 40 baby, was coming to be the Savior of the world. Simeon states that this was according to your word. And he's not talking about something he's read in Scripture, the Old Testament, but he's talking about a personal promise that was made to him. And so he realizes that that promise is being kept this day. Even though in, the, in our Scriptures, they may be silent for a period of 400 years, God was not silent. He spoke to those who sought him, and Simeon was one of those people. And of course, there are passages in the Old Testament that we could relate to this, and we read several of those last night, Natalia, as we went through this lighting ceremony. Isaiah 52.10, The Lord has made bare His holy arm, in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 9.2, The peoples who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. Isaiah 42, 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the peoples, as a light to the Gentiles. Simeon's eyes had seen his Savior. The salvation of Israel. However, Israel had failed to live up to that promise of spreading that light so now Jesus was to be that light. The task was to be His, to spread to us. It says that Simeon blessed Mary and Joseph. It doesn't appear that the blessing is here, but it seems to be a prophetic word when he says to Mary and Joseph these things. They were astonished. It tells us here that it's Father and mother were astonished, and you can imagine nine months previous, the virgin had been told that she would have a child. And when she told Joseph, apparently he didn't believe her for a second because he was going to put her away 
without making a public display of it. But the angel told him, Mary is telling the truth. She's conceiving by the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus because he has come to be the Savior of the world. And then the shepherds had come. Angels had sang. And to confirm all this, Luke tells us that now Simeon, this old man, tells them, this is the Savior, the promised Messiah. Simeon very prophetically made it clear that Jesus would be the fall and the rise of so many. But he also tells Mary, one day your heart is going to be pierced like a sword. Mary, when she was standing at the cross, may have remembered those words as she saw the spikes nailed into his wrist, nailed into his ankles, and the piercing sword into his side also pierced her side because she saw her son suffering so. Did she really know that he was dying for her, dying for you, dying for me? This is why we celebrate this season, because we respond to the gift of Christmas, which is Jesus. Jesus came as a sign to all the people of Israel. Now, to the people of Israel, a sign was basically given to indicate that the prophecy that was being spoken was true. So what is this sign that he says here? He says he will be spoken against and that all hearts may be revealed. If we think of what happened to Jesus, the schemes and of the scribes and the Pharisees trying to trap him that ultimately led to him dying on the cross, revealed their hearts. The sign was true, even though he was the Messiah coming to Israel, he was opposed. And so the words are true. This was our Savior. Luke is warning us that the work of the Messiah was not what the people thought. It was turning into a suffering story. Mary saw her son who came to bring peace dying on a cross. As an authentication of all of these things, Dr. Luke had said, he wanted to make a thorough examination to all these things, as he writes Theopolis. And so he tells us of the son promised. How the angels came, how the shepherds came, and now he's confirming it one more time But this old man who'd been made a promise by God. These are strange old ceremonies, yet we as Christians are reminded that Jesus came in the context of the tradition of that nation. Observing the Jewish laws, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. He was brought to the temple to be offered back to God. Within the context of doing what people normally do, the Spirit of God moved upon Simeon and told him, this little baby, 40 days old, is the Savior. If Simeon had, had been uh, 
using his natural powers, he would have missed the whole thing. He would have been looking for a royal procession. The Sanhedrin and the priest would have been swarming all around, but all he saw was a carpenter, his young wife, and a little baby. Just ordinary looking people. But his eyes of faith saw a Savior. And we need eyes of faith today to see our Savior. The Gentiles, unlike the Israelites, had very little revelation from God. But he tells us here that he came to be a light to the Gentiles. Yes, the Gentiles had the revelation of nature. And Romans 119 tells us that. Nature tells us that God is, that God is wise, that He is orderly, that He's powerful, but it doesn't tell us everything. It doesn't tell us that God accomplished His salvation in Christ. Acts 4.12 says, Nor is there any salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Nature does not tell us that God prepared His salvation for all people. Romans 10.13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. matters not who we are. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. We can be the poorest of the poor the riches of the rich, the blackest of the black, the whitest of the white. We can even be the chief of sinners. But because of Jesus, we can be saved. I dare say that all of us have committed sins that would make us cringe. But we can be cleansed of those sins because of Jesus. We Gentiles, I think, Probably most of us here are Gentiles. He came for us to be a light to us, to let us know that we too can have salvation. Jesus changes everything for everyone. We celebrate Christmas because we recognize that Jesus provided a means that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God and made new. This is tremendous news. And it is the core of why we celebrate. Of course, those who would rather not address their sin and reject Jesus, they can no longer blame God for His sin a Savior. They have no excuse. I hope this Christmas you continue to be excited by the gift of Jesus Christ just as excited as Simeon was all those years ago. We can understand the significance of the Messiah far more than he all these years later. Dean Farrar was a privileged personal friend of Queen Victoria. On the first anniversary of the ascension of Edward VII to the throne of England during the service in Canterbury Cathedral, he told how the queen, after hearing one of her chaplains speak about the second coming of Christ, spoke to the dean about it and says, Oh, how I wish he would come in my lifetime. And he asked her, Why would you so earnestly wish this? She said, Because I should so love 
to lay my crown at his feet. How wonderful it would be if we were living when the Lord returned. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could see the sky open up and the dead in Christ rise and walk among us? Would it not be wonderful to see our bodies changed in the twinkling of an eye? But we don't have to wait till then to give our praise. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When the dear old saint held the baby in his arms, he blessed God for fulfilling his promise. Shall we not do so as well? For God has kept his promise to us as well. As Isaiah began his suffering servant's passage, we read, Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voices and the villages that Sidor inhabits and the inhabitants of Shelah sing. Let them shout from the top of mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. Yes, we have much to rejoice this day that we recognize that God has kept his promises, not only to Simeon, but to us. Shall we not sing a new song and his praises from the ends of the earth? We should not allow this world season of crass commercialization pull us down with despair, but allow this season of remembrance of the promises kept to build our faith. Like the Grinch's heart that grew and grew, the remembrance of God keeping his promises this season should allow our faith to grow and grow. Rather than allow the despairs of the world pull us down, we can rise up on the promises of God and sing a new song, his praises to the end of the earth. Now let me close with words from an old song. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises I cannot fail, fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting, my Savior, my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. Where are you standing? God has kept his promises to us. And this Christmas season reminds us of that. A Savior is born.